You're listening to episode three of the Product Boss Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Jacqueline, my co-host, and in the previous episode, she actually interviewed me, so make sure to go back and listen to that. In both episodes, just to give you a heads up, the audio is not the greatest, but I assure you, it is only going to get better from here. So make sure to listen to both episodes. Jacqueline's story is so great. I know that you're going to love it. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey everyone, I'd like to introduce you to the other half of the product boss, your host, Jacqueline Snyder. Jacqueline has had a passion for design since she was a little girl and is the owner of Designer Consulting Co-op and her own product brand, Cuffs Couture. That's two 10-year-old businesses and two kids. I'm not sure how she does it, but we'll get more into that later. So Jacqueline started her first business when she was 10 years old and then launched Designer Consulting Co-op when she was 26. Now, this is one of the reasons why I love Jacqueline. I think most of my friends were out being 20-year-olds, and Jacqueline was teaching herself QuickBooks. Jacqueline's business has single-handedly helped over 500 fashion apparel and accessory companies launch and grow in the U.S. And with Cuffs Couture, celebrities like Kim Kardashian, Carrie Underwood, and Bella Thorne were spotted with her cuffs. But here are some more fun things about Jacqueline. She is a bread fanatic, plant-based eater, but won't give up sushi. And Jacqueline also travels more than anyone I have ever met. Jacqueline's husband, James, is a Broadway actor, and they live in New Jersey with their two kiddos, four-year-old Oliver and two-year-old Willa. They live on the East Coast for her husband's Broadway career, and her business, DCC, is based in Los Angeles. So she travels back and forth with kids and hubby in tow. She is raising her kids to be adaptable, kind people, and showing them that both parents can live a balanced life between parenting and also pursuing their passions and careers. So Jacqueline, tell me, how did you start your journey? Hey, everyone. Hey, Mina. So my first business <laughs> was Jackie's Wacky Faces. So like I said, <laughs> okay, so one, I came up with that name at 10. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I made business cards. They were orange business cards that you would get, you know, from Staples or wherever um, where you could just print on those little cards like that you perforated cards that you just tear apart. And then you could create business cards, I think on word that had, you know, those little icons where you'd drop in an icon and write the word. So I think I had a clown face or something creepy. Um, and the reason I started this was that I had a sister that's nine and a half years younger than me. And for her two year old birthday party, I decided that I was going to be the face painter. It's actually one of my favorite pictures of my sister from when we were little and I painted her face and I painted the kids' faces and then her parents' friends were like, oh, 
do you want to come do this birthday party and that birthday party? And I probably only got paid like $25, maybe $50 if I was lucky, but that was great, you know, for a 10 year old. Um, then I got this genius idea because I had the face paint that I went to, I don't know if it was Michael's or something. And I got these clear, but colored clear containers, like little square plexiglass containers. And I started taking Vaseline and mixing the Vaseline with uh, my face paint and making lip glosses. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I was <laughs> using what I had and i Actually, my parents were super strict, so I wasn't allowed to have makeup. So I, I mean, there was a point that I was using face paint on my eyelashes like mascara, but that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was making lip gloss basically and trying to sell that to my friends. Like, hey, I'm selling lip gloss. I don't think any of them bought it, but it was a project. Um, then later on, I took my art skills and a few of my, it was the time that people would paint their ceilings, like skies. Um, and so I was hired by a couple of friends to paint their little sister's bedrooms or bathrooms with, you know, clouds on the ceiling. So I kind of always took my, I guess my love of painting, um, and use it in different ways and made a little bit of money when I was growing up. So I, but I went to school at a really, you know, great college prep high school and I was smart and I wanted to change the world and wasn't sure what I wanted to be exactly. I knew I loved painting. And when I applied to colleges, I applied to 13 of them. And I actually thought I was going to go into advertising because same thing. Twin. It was sort of, yeah, I know. <laughs> this boomerang generation. <laughs> I wanted, exactly. I wanted to go to Boston University because that was the place for um, advertising. And it was a, you know what it was? I think it was a way to merge my creative abilities, like that I am, I love to paint and I was creative, you know, Jackie Zaki faces, um, mixed with business and my smarts, basically. Um, I didn't really know much more about the industry. And then I didn't end up doing that because BU was sort of my place for advertising and it was so expensive at the time and it was out of state. So I actually went to uh, UC Santa Barbara. So it was a UC and a great school, but I was there and I was sort of like, what am I going to major in? You know, I don't need a fine arts major from a UC. I don't know where I'm going to take that. thought about becoming a lawyer. I was super into like women's rights. Um, and then I went back to our high school homecoming football game and ran into this girl that I grew up with. And she was telling me, just rambling on about her college and she's in fashion school and they're doing this, that, and the other. And I, this was, you know, pre-Facebook. So you didn't get Facebook envy. It was like real life envy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I'm in the wrong place. Like, that's what I want to do. I never knew fashion design was a a job, you know, like there wasn't Project Runway. Um, you knew about Coco Chanel and things like that, but you didn't know that there were like little, <laughs> I think about them little elves, but designers behind the brands that, and many, many designers behind the brands that are creating all of the product we see that just wasn't in my wheelhouse. I just knew I was a designer and creative. So I heard her talk about fashion school and she was going to an art college. So it's Otis College of Art. Call it Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. And I was like, mm, I went to my parents, like, I think I need to leave the UCM at and go to art school. Um, and it was a bachelor's degree. It was a bachelor's in fine arts, even though I don't think my parents really ever truly, the difference between you and I is that I was first generation American. 
And I knew, especially from my peers and the kind of high school I went to that, well, not new, but I needed to get a degree in college versus my parents were, you know, my dad did something without a degree. And so they actually didn't push us into college. I did, that was all myself, you know, Mm -hmm. like figuring out the schools I went to, the application process, FAFSA, um, all of that was on me. So I basically put my portfolio together and applied and I got in and I had to start over basically as a freshman there. So I ended up five year, you know, five years in college, which is fine. And um, yeah, and I ended up graduating pretty much top of my class in fashion um, with a bachelor's in fine arts. And the craziest thing about our program was I think we started out with 120 people or something and our graduating class was 70 people. Uh And thing there is that there was just such a high, you know, art, there's never an end. So you'd stay up all night, you pull all nighters, um, all sorts of things. And so, um, there were only 70 people that ended up graduating and making it through the program. And then I definitely, you know, I was top of my class. I won awards and whatnot in the school and it was just, it was the right path. And I was so glad that I bumped into that girl at our high school homecoming. I'm curious, is she still in the biz too? Do you know? She is actually her and her sister um started a company. Um yeah, her and her sister started a company and they've been going at it. So she is still in the business. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. People come into your life when they need to be in your life. So amazing. Absolutely. And so, you know, when I graduated, so basically the cool thing about Otis was that our fashion program had a portfolio show. And so you had to be selected to present your portfolio and then there were industry um, or pe- basically people from huge companies. So like Nike cam, Abercrombie and Fitch. Like uh, recruiters. Recruiters. Yeah. Um, and so Cosa Bella, which is an Italian lingerie company, they were there and it was, it's a smaller business. So still the, the owners are still super involved. Um, so the husband and wife team came and they saw my portfolio and they really liked what I showed them and um, they gave me a project. So basically it was right before graduation that we meet with them. They gave me a project. I had like a week to complete that project, which basically was designing swimwear and designing lingerie in the essence of their brand and to submit it to them. And I did. And I actually then got a job offer from them to come or move to Miami and be their designer for launching their swimwear line, which was Cosabella Mare. And, um, and I was their designer for their loungewear, like their ready to wear and their corsets. So not necessarily their bras and underwear, but the other pieces in the brand. Um, and there were only two of us, by the way, when I got there, I thought I was going in as an assistant designer and I show up and I'm like, oh, hi. I am actually designing, working directly with the owners. Um, Neiman Marcus was our bigger, biggest account at that point, and Neiman Marcus Fire would come in and work with us. So I had so much hands-on experience with a small yet big company, Um, and I was doing tech packs, which are like the I call like the blueprints of garments, basically where you're instructing people how to create the garment. And I had to do that in Italian because it's Italian. Oh my gosh. And isn't it interesting how both of us ended up instead of an ad ad agency, we're both at these smaller companies and learn how to do everything. We ended up being entrepreneurs because we knew how to do everything. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that might be why we were given that responsibility. You know, I think people look for others with entrepreneurial spirit and, or that you can probably wear many hats 
Um, so yeah, that is super interesting. And I, and I think that's what led me. And so the path that really was the biggest thing in my life that changed was actually my grandpa was really sick and he was dying and he was in Los Angeles and I was in Miami and I sort of, and then I got a job offer. So somebody basically, um, actually a celebrity, uh, Jamie Presley, she actually reached out to me and said, I'm, you know, I'm redesigning my line. It was a time of celebrity, celebrity brands. And she reached out to me and said, you know, I want to hire you and I want it. I want you to be here yesterday. And I'm in Miami <laughs> at this company, enjoying what I'm doing and hoping I'm going to get a trip to Italy soon. And, um, but then my grandpa was sick and I just thought, you know what, life is short. People come, you know, he's really important to me. I need to go back and spend time with him because I'm never going to get that back. So I ended up leaving Cusabella, moving back to Los Angeles and basically designing and running Jamie's company. Um, she's, she was young and then she had three of us ladies. We were all 25 and under. I think really, I mean, we were 25 and she was just a couple years older than us and we were basically running her business. And so between me being the designer and on the phone with Macy's and our sales reps and literally working in the booths at like the magic trade show, um, we were putting on runway shows. Like we built a stage at the Roosevelt hotel in Hollywood. We did the Tyra Banks show. We did the today show. I, or not, it wasn't the today show. It was Tyra Banks show on the view. We did the view where I was up with her in the morning, like standing in until she got there and then dressing the models on like Elizabeth Hasselback or, um, you know, in our clothes. And so I had all of these experiences, but she saw in us ladies, she always said she hired people that were smarter than her. And it wasn't that we were smarter, but I think that we were, our strengths were in different places and we could all tackle a bunch of things. So not only was I doing that, but I was staying at the office like 11 o'clock at night, cutting fabric, like cutting samples to give to our sewers. Um, don't know why I didn't hire a cutter at that point, but (laughs) (laughs) that's me, right? I take on a bunch of stuff that I'll do myself. Um, So yeah. So then, so I think that was sort of where my experience as an entrepreneur in the business, basically running someone else's business, really, I, she gave us so many opportunities and experiences that that's what really set me forward to launching Designer Consulting Co-op. So one of the things that I've seen really is your strength and is opposite of my strength is for you, like, what do you think that um, were some pivotal points in your journey that really led to you to where you are now? Um, okay, so I would say working for Jamie was a huge thing, and even just the dynamic that that there was amongst us women. And um, you know, women can be great to each other, and women can be nasty. And there were points that yeah, just wasn't that the truth, right? Yeah, and I just really <laughs> wish we were all there for each other because we would just be so much stronger um, together than against each other. So that was something I actually really struggled with um, in that environment. And I had a neighbor who actually had the same education as me, but she was 10 years older and she had her own maternity business and she would sort of be my person. I went to, to vent. And when I eventually ended up leaving Jamie's business, um, I worked with her. Like I was helping her with her company as she, she had a young, a young kid. And then together we were like, let's launch a dress line together. Um, and 
but before that, she's like, I know all this information. Cause she was, like I said, 10 years older than me. What did I know at 26? And I mean, I knew a lot, but not enough to feel, I think that confidence that you get in your, you know, your thirties or one day you Uh wake up and you're not doubting what you're saying, but it's like, Oh no, I do know a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Twenties are emotional, (laughs) (laughs) especially as a woman. And so, um, it's funny because you, you said like with my, like, I guess I, you know, I think my thirties, the biggest thing is I have found my voice. So I always had a voice. We yell at each other in my family. I've always kind of stood up to my parents, my own beliefs, but being confident, it was never something I trained myself to do. It just kind of eventually came out naturally. And I think that was when I found confidence in what I was saying, or I finally felt like, oh yeah, I do know what I'm talking about, you know, in certain things. So with her, um, we decided, or she decided that she's like, oh, I'm kind of consulting you and your company, your company with Jamie. Like, why don't I start a consulting business? And, um, we just like, kind of like you and I, Mina, we just came up with an idea and we're like, let's go do it. We, we, <laughs> cause I think that is a strength of ours that we don't sort of sit on our ideas forever. We try them, we test them. And like you said, we fail faster, right? Yeah. So, you know, Very something's going to work. Yeah. Um, which we will do an episode on in the future. Um, so we basically decided to start this consulting business and did the same thing that you did. Ironically, is that we put little mailers, like we printed out postcards and we put them in the local coffee shop. We put them in like the, the restaurant that was by, cause my office is by the, it's in the fashion district by all the marts, like the California market center. And so we put it in the little, um, restaurants that people would go to and during the textile show, which is a ton of people come to LA for this LA textile show. And people picked up our card and they called us and we actually got, I think like three clients pretty quickly. Um, and then she got pregnant with her second kid. And when she got pregnant with her second kid, it was sort of, and we all know this. I mean, you and I are moms of two kids, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, some people might propel forward yeah. <laughs> and others are like, holy moly. Um, so she really needed to take a step back from all that. Um, she reconsidered her options. And so I was basically, uh, left with a few clients, um, as their consultant. And I had them but at the same time, I really wanted to be like a prestigious, like high-end fashion designer. So I was looking for another job. I interviewed with like Monique Lulier because I wanted to be a bridal designer. Um, I interviewed with Louis Verdad, who was at that point one of the biggest LA fashion designers. Like he would always open LA Fashion Week and he was dressing like huge people like Madonna, Mary J. Blige and all that. And so I actually interned for him for a good while. and saw what this huge company, you know, I think it's like pulling back that curtain when you see this as a huge company, but it's still a small company. It takes a lot to get a huge staff. Um, and so I was interning and my consultants kind of, or my consulting clients just kind of kept pulling on me and they were pulling me in this other direction from where I thought I was going to go, which was to be a designer working for a company. And then probably eventually having my own line would be the long goal. But at that point it was working for these like higher end businesses. Um, like I wanted to work for Richard Tyler, for example. I was like, I will sharpen that but man's pencils. You didn't pencils. have kids at this time, right? No, I was twenty six. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. This was all before I started DCC, and so I was still young. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. I still had this like fashion path in front of me, and my friends were working at these huge companies with like these amazing perks and flying to, you know, China and Colombia and all these places for their for their businesses. And um, 
the clients were pulling on me and I was talking to my parents about it. And my mom's like, just do it. Like go get an office and do this thing, you know? And so I did, like I left the internship and I went to the building that I'm currently in and I got this two room office because rents were affordable (laughs) in LA back then. (laughs) Back in our day. (laughs) I got furniture from my dad's old office and a cutting table and I set up a phone line and I just did it. And I was there all the time. And I think that would be the most pivotal thing is that my, let's, I guess, you know, really honestly, it's my mom that she was the one who told me it's okay. You can leave a UC and you can go to fashion school. Like you could be a college dropout, (laughs) even though I wasn't, (laughs) but going to art school, which, you know, I'm sure your family would have been like, what? No, you know, I graduated in three years out of a four-year college on a test. So They would not love that. No, and I had to extend it. I went to five years. So um, not because of anything other than the credits. And then, um, yeah, and then she was the same one that was like, stop working for this really high-end, amazing designer and go start your own business. And so I did. And I think that was like, that was, you know, that was that. And then that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And it's, you know, I yeah, talking about this is amazing. So what about, so you were talking about your mom a bit, but have you ever worked or hired any family members? Um, I have actually. So my family is not one that I could get everybody to work at the same time and have my mom cook dinner. Like it's not your (laughs) family. (laughs) It needs to be. love food. (laughs) Because we're both from big families, but it needs to be individual. And based on our, um, personalities and the way that we interact, it kind of needs to be tailored towards that. So when I first, first started and I had Cuffs Couture, which is my uh, product line, it's an accessories line. um, I was making them, I was getting them sewn professionally, but I had these little like Cuffs Couture metal tags I wanted sewn on. And I don't know if a production went wrong or it's going to cost too much. So (laughs) My mother, like I said, is super creative and sews things. Um, I gave her a needle and thread and I said, hey, mom, can you help me sew on (laughs) hundreds of metal tags? My sister, the one that's, well, I only have one sister. She's much younger. She would actually intern for me and help me out on her summers. Um, So she, (laughs) she... hates Cuffs Couture and she hates Amazon. <laughs> because, she ruined everything for her. Because, and listen, she's an occupational therapist. She needs to know none of us. But <laughs> one summer I said, hey, Mazelle, could you please figure out how I'm going to sell Cuffs on Amazon and make me a buyer or a seller on it and set it all up? And she was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like the way you have to take pictures and uh-huh. the SKUs. And she actually counted the inventory that I have. So that's, I think, where you and I are opposite. <laughs> I was like, can someone else learn this for me and get me on Amazon? And you're like, I will learn everything. I see why people hate it though. It's not user-friendly at all. But what's so funny is that there's very few people that I meet that don't like Amazon. Like Amazon is one of those companies that's really... Um, done well with their customers. You know, people love the two day people. There's not a lot of complaints when they do deal with Amazon. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about the key things, I think at this point that are going to separate everyone out, and this is something for our product entrepreneurs is customer service. I mean, one of the reasons I hate, sorry, AT&T, you may never sponsor this podcast. (laughs) 
But they don't need us as customers. They have so many customers for so many things that they just really don't need to have great customer service. They just don't. Like you're yeah. sort of pinned to them on certain things. Like when your iPad could only go through AT&T. Um, so getting back into it, like what, what challenges did you meet? Like, do you have any specific challenges that stand out in your mind that you had when you're starting your company or when you're continuing or growing it or anything? Well, <clears throat> designer consulting co-op was always about clients. So the, the challenge was how to sort of that customer service idea again, like how to meet my clients needs. Um, it is a service-based business and you kind of grow up thinking, you know, being told the client's always right. And I think a big challenge was also realizing that the client isn't always right when they're learning. So not letting the blind lead us, but, you know, being able to teach yet meet their needs. And that was sort of a learning curve, but talking about product-based businesses, if we were to talk about Cuffs Couture, um, I did a cheap product. So I did a product that didn't need a lot of material wasn't very expensive to sew. So I literally could make hundreds of pieces out of five to 10 yards of fabric, which the yield was just incredible. Um, But it was the exposure of it. So getting people to actually know what it is and why they needed it in their life. And as a consultant, I've seen people over the years create products that are inventions, um, but they haven't created or let people know what that need is in the market. So we had a client once do like bras to sleep in because supposedly sleeping when you sleep, like that's when your breasts sag. (laughs) (laughs) Mental note. (laughs) Mental note, everybody go out. This is, this is her um, promotion. No. Um, And so she spent a lot of money on her SEO and she spent a lot of money on, you know, creating the product and a beautiful, beautiful website but people didn't know that that was a, a problem versus I feel like if she had at that point, cause things have also shifted a bit with social media, but if she had at that point, you know, worked with a publicist that was reaching out to like women's health magazines or like Cosmo and made it an, you know, pitched this article idea of your boobs are going to sag if you don't sleep with something. Um, and here's the solution to this problem then it would have been able to sort of set it up there because otherwise people aren't Google searching sleeping bras. They just don't even know that they need a sleeping bra. And if they type in bra, a million other companies that we all probably shop at would pop up first. So for Cuffs Couture, what was something that helped to promote your business? The thing that basically launched or propelled my business forward was that I was looking for publicists and one publicist, I don't know why or how she did this, but she decided to test my product and contacted somebody that she knew that was a editor for People Magazine mm-hmm. and would do segments on the Today Show. And she basically pitched Cuffs Couture to her and right around right after Thanksgiving, like right around Christmas time, like the beginning of December, there was a half page article on cuffs and all the celebrities that wear it. And I went from having one sale from somebody I knew (laughs) to having a hundred orders (laughs) that took place. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. a week before Christmas and through New Year's because it was a, it's a, a wrist wallet basically for your wrist that you, I would pitch, like you go out dancing and it would be hands-free and it was before iPhones were computer sized. So I had all these orders come in. I mean, I remember like drinking champagne, just watching the orders roll in. And I know it's not that many, but it was a lot for somebody who launched a business. Yeah. And luckily it was so small um, that I actually packed it in. I packed all the trims, I packed the cuffs, I put them all in my car. And when we drove up to my husband's 
parents' house in Northern California for Christmas. I was literally like gl- watching movies with them while they're sewing things on and shipping them out. Um, cause I wasn't prepped for holidays and what would happen if my life still existed, but I had to actually fulfill all of these orders. Um, so that was when I decided, okay, if this thing keeps going. I need someone who will fulfill orders for me so I can continue doing other things that my life requires. And super exciting. I mean, to get a half page in people, that's a dream, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it's again, prior to Instagram and all those things where I think the PR side of things have changed a bit, um, influencers versus celebrities. But at that point, it was huge. And I, and also think about it, like the shelf life of magazines like that are really they last a lot longer because they're sitting in nail salons. It's sort of what I would always think. Like I'll go read like a two month old people magazine. It's still relevant mm-hmm. to me in some way um, when I'm getting my nails done. And then also, you know, based on the way that I would buy things at that point, I would buy like three or four gossip mags for my plane trips and people were traveling at that point for Christmas. And so I feel like, you know, there were a lot of people looking, but let's just point out for a second that it was in People Magazine at Christmas time and I only did get a hundred orders. So I don't know what their distribution was at that point, you know, six, uh-huh. million, nine, I don't know how many people, how many they sent out to. And I only got a hundred orders. So just for everyone to keep that in mind too, I'm not sure what the percentage was, but it was big for me, but the scale to what actually like get somebody to click and buy is different. Um, Right. And that's something to keep in mind, you know, as you're trying to get, you know, market your product and get it out there. And it's a little bit easier nowadays because, you know, they just click over from Instagram or even now there's the viable post in Instagram. You don't actually have to leave Instagram. Whereas in a magazine, you're physically having to get that person to get on a computer, look up that product and buy, you know, so back in our day, it was a little bit harder. <laughs> totally. And I think I had a, probably a Blackberry at that point. So it wasn't like my iPhone is my little computer and I could just be like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to look this up. Right. Um, so let me hear a little bit more about Cuffs Couture. Like how did you come up with that idea? Okay. Good question. So I, um, <laughs> Cuffs Couture was basically, I am not somebody that has a bag, like a Mary Poppins bag that has everything uh-huh. in it. I have what I need. I mean, if I could walk out with just like a little tiny wallet with my credit cards and my phone in my pocket, I'm good. And so back then when I was in my twenties and I would go to clubs and dance and whatnot, my purse was like the bane of my existence. So you had to wear your purse while dancing because if you leave it, you know, on the chair that you're sitting at, if you had a booth or a chair, it could get stolen. Um, and so I just, and like the pants that I wore, you know, they didn't have pockets, like there weren't pockets happening. So I really wanted a way to keep like my essentials close to me. And they were doing it. Uh, wrist wallets are popular in the athletic world, but not necessarily in the fashion world. Um, and I was fashionista according to me, self-dubbed. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I basically took an idea that I saw in a different market and decided to bring it into what my needs and my friend's needs would be. And now listen, one of my best friends has the Mary Poppins bag. She will never, she would wear the cuffs. I did workout cuffs. So she would wear them when we were like training. We trained for the Amazon or no, not Amazon, like Avon. <laughs> something with an A, the Avon breast cancer walk. Like I also made athletic ones. So we would wear them when we were walking 20 miles a day, um, to train for this marathon. And that's cause like, we really just needed like our card. Cause we'd always walk and get coffee or something. And like our, like a key to our apartment. Um, 
so yeah, so I came up with like just fancy ones and I was looking up Chanel and the way that Chanel was doing like the cuffs on their blouses. And so I'd find details and imitate those and sort of look for trims and fabrics and really played it up. And so because it was an inventive idea, um, it was different. There was a niche and it, and there wasn't a lot of competition and I found a sales rep, um, which we will do an episode on, on how to find a sales rep, especially when like, um, when you have like a brand, like a fashion brand or something that needs to be marketed. And I found a sales rep and she gave me a lot of direction, but also had my line. So before I found the rep, I, I did it myself. And I think that's a huge takeaway here is that it's sort of that idea of starting in the mailroom. Unless you do all of these elements yourself, you won't understand the struggles and you won't understand the right things to do. If you go straight to a sales rep and they're not getting sales for you, you have no idea why. Um, And you don't even understand like the reasoning or the way that a market happens. But I would go and do shows. I do like the accessory show in New York and whatnot. I'd open up 30 new stores at a trade show. We sold on um, Zulily, like some flash sale sites. We were on Diane's Beachwear, you know, uh, Kitson. Like there were some really cool places that we ended up selling at, which I would like pat myself on the back on because it's hard to get these stores. And then, you know, and then I sold on my own e-commerce site and and when the buyer started asking me, what do you do with your phone? Where do you fit your phone in a cuff? And the phones were bigger. They were just bigger than they used to be. Um, and so I would tell them, you know, you could stick the phone between the skin on your wrist and the fabric of the cuff. And that's how I would wear my phone. But as the phone started to grow and technology started to change and there were more products out there to hold your phone I started to see sales declining. And as sales started to decline, I decided to branch out into some other accessories. So I was trying to keep up. So hair accessories were really trending. You know, what you could do is you can follow the market and sometimes it'll be about the earrings. Sometimes it's about bows in your hair. Sometimes, you know, big chunky rings go down to little delicate rings. And so I started branching out into accessories. So I started doing like headbands because that was when, you know, and my sales rep at the time wrapped a really big, um, you know, hair accessory company. So I was getting into hair bands and some sort of like necklaces that were similar. And I actually started getting into the athletic world of cuffs and even some like hand accessories, like gloves and whatnot. Um, but the phone was like the crux. And at this point, designer consulting co-op was doing really well. And cuffs couture was sort of like that baby that kept needing to be fed and clothed. <laughs> <laughs> and educated. <I> yeah. <laughs> it was taking money. And it was like I could have a service-based business that had less of an overhead or cuffs, which I had a really good run at. And I had, like I said, what like as a designer, the acclaim of getting it on some of your favorite celebrities, do you know, selling to stores, having success in that way, selling online. So that's when I actually decided, and I think, and that's when I was pregnant with my son. And so I was like, there's only so much I can handle. So I actually pulled back, said, you know what, I'm going to stop with the wholesale, keep my online business going because that was happening. And like we had Carrie Underwood wear it on the country music awards, like things were happening publicist wise. Um, and then I just started tapering it off and then I stopped developing. And so now I have product that's been there and people are still ordering. And now I'm at the point that 
I had my run at it. I enjoyed it. I learned so much, especially as a consultant for other people in product-based businesses. And the ride happened and I enjoyed it. And now I'm just going to try and clear through the inventory or not and um, move on to my other ride. Um, so if you could go back to your young, young Jacqueline and give her some piece of advice, maybe the 20s, the 20-year-old Jacqueline, what would you say? Hmm. I would slap myself in the face (laughs) (laughs) and look say, look at yourself. You are beautiful and you are strong and you know what you're doing. I love that. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like two kids later, I'm like, what was I thinking in my twenties? Like, I think, I think my biggest struggle in my life has been my self-esteem to be honest. And, um, and it's a lot of things. I mean, it's mindset and physically, I mean, it's just things that I think women, you know, a lot of women struggle with. Um, and so one, I had a 20 year old body, you know, a 20 something year old body. So thank you. (laughs) And face. I should have appreciated that more, right? (laughs) Yes. My friend and I always talk about that. And then also, um, just the strength, like you were talking about it too, like that self doubt. Um, just the strength and courage and the way and seeing myself the way other people saw me. So like I said, like my friends, they worked for companies. A lot of my friends have always worked for companies. I haven't had a lot of entrepreneurial friends until I sort of found this group recently and you. Um, And so that there was this courage. It wasn't like this struggle or something to be, you know, less than, but it was like this courage and power to sort of be an entrepreneur and create the life I wanted and, you mentioned that my husband's a Broadway actor. He's an actor. And so he always, always traveled. And if I worked at a fashion company that I was traveling to China to manufacture or things like that, I'd never see him. Um, versus having my own business, I was always able to be mobile. And that would probably be before I ever had kids. One of the reasons that entrepreneurship really worked well for me is that I could keep my life mobile so that I could balance out my personal with my, um, my, you know, business and career. And I think actually Marie Forleo talks about that too, because I think she, her husband might, I think her husband's an actor as well. And that's sort of one of the biggest reasons that pushed her into being an entrepreneur was that, that she could be flexible. And, you know, we all sort of do what works best for our own personal lives. So a good old slap in the face from my 30 something year old self. Okay. So we're going to, um, I think we should get into the round, uh, quick fire. Okay quick fire questions. Um, so I already know what your coffee order is. So I'm going to skip on to the next one. Black like yours. <laughs> right. Right. Mental note, black. Um, okay. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Favorite thing on your desk? My, um, pictures of my kids. I'm going to do two pictures of my kids, but also my note that says she believed she could. So she did. Oh, I love it. Uh, finish this sentence. When I pick up my phone, I check my Voxer to see if Mina has left me a message. <laughs> and you find 20. Um, <laughs> um, how was the, or what was the last show you binge watched? I'm currently binge watching the Queen's second season. Oh yeah. I've heard such good things about that. Or no, it's the crown, the crown, the crown. Yeah. The crown. Yeah. Uh, what should the title on your business card actually say? Um, I would say fire putter outer or fireman slash problem solver. <laughs> fire woman. <laughs> fire woman and um, problem solver. <laughs> um, do you have an alter ego or a stage persona? 
I, when I need to really rally myself up for the day that I'm going to have, I call myself a dragon slayer. So I'm going to go out and slay dragons today. And it really just empowers me and gives me a visual to hold on to. I love it. Um, if you could go back in time, oh, I already said this one. <laughs> ahead. I do have another one though. I okay. Someone. Um, so what's the biggest lesson of 2017 and what are you looking forward to most in 2018? Oh, and by the way, we're recording this at the end of 2017, but, you know, kind of carries over into the beginning. Yeah. The biggest lesson of 2017 was figuring out that I didn't have to live in discomfort in a lot of ways. So as an entrepreneur, like you start your own business and really like that was the reason I started my business is like I wanted to work with people I loved. I wanted to have clients that I loved. And this year was a difficult year. probably based just on like the amount of travel I did. And I have two kids and I I have like a booming business and feeling very pulled between all of these things. So um, figuring out like clarity, clarity is my word for 2018. So figuring out how to make it the best possible life, something that I love and I find joy in. So 2018 is to live in joy and to, if something feels uncomfortable, that I, that it is okay for me to pivot and change it and do something differently and it, and you know, everything will work out. I could not agree more. I think that when you have that intention towards joy and finding that ease and fulfillment, I think it can make all the difference. I think that's a perfect way to end this interview. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thanks, Mina. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the Product Boss Podcast. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Product Boss Podcast. Be sure to visit theproductboss.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.